As Corey already mentioned, our title for the sermon today is Entrance into the Body. If I were to ask, if I were to ask us today, what, what are Baptists known for? Or, or what, what's a distinguishing mark or belief for a Baptist? How would, you, how would you answer that question? There might be a few things that come to your mind, and, and, I'm, and I'm very aware that, that these are not just exclusive to Baptists. But you might, you might be thinking or saying, well, you know, they're, they're people of the Bible. Inerrancy is a really big thing for them. Or you might say their, their focus, they have a focus on evangelism and missions. Maybe you're thinking about our partnership in the cooperative program. Or you might just say, well, there's, there's always food at their gatherings. <laughs> you know, we say that, we say that jokingly very often. Sometimes I think that, uh, that we believe this is actually a true demarcation of what it means to be a Baptist. But today we're going to talk about a true mark of what it means to be a Baptist. And, and we're going to focus on the view of baptism. Today we want to focus on this ordinance of the church because it's been commanded by Christ that his disciples would practice and observe this among the church. We want to see what God's word says about baptism. We want to try to answer a few questions. We want to answer what is baptism? What does it represent and communicate? Why is it important or what importance does it have for us as a church? We want to see that this ordinance has been given to us as a, as a way to communicate some rich theological truths and to act as a reminder to the individual being baptized and to the church of the power of God in salvation. This is our main point for this morning. Baptism demonstrates a believer's union with Christ and a believer's public commitment to Christ and the church, marking them off from the world. Baptism demonstrates a believer's union with Christ and a believer's public commitment to Christ and the church, marking them off from the world. And today, how we're going to break up this main point is in two ways. We're going to consider what baptism symbolizes internally first, and then what it publicly portrays externally. We're going to see what it conveys internally, what it symbolizes internally, and then what it publicly portrays externally. Before we begin our passage, we, we are jumping into the middle of Romans, and so we've got to add a bit of context we need to consider what Paul has been writing in the first five chapters. Um, and, what we, and what we need to know are these things. 
We need to know that one is saved from their sins and we need to know how that occurs and that that occurs when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul writes that it's our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus that justifies us before God. It, it, it means that it makes us right before God. It's the great exchange. We, we talked about this in the spring, actually. It's where we impute our sins on Christ and he imputes his righteousness on us so that we might be made holy and blameless before God. We see this idea towards the end of chapter 5. And because of this, it begs a question. Paul gives us this question at the very beginning of our passage today. And he basically, it's summarized in this way. If, if Christ's imputed righteousness, if it's Christ's imputed righteousness that makes us perfect and it makes us holy, and it's not some derived righteousness that, that's created from us, that saves us, I guess we can continue to sin because there's grace for that. This is how our passage begins today. And Paul's going Paul's to start by, by asking that question. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 1 with me. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I want you to see his emphatic response. He says, by no means. See, Paul says that, that, this should not, that this should not be the attitude of the Christian. For the one who truly believes in the completed work of Jesus Christ, this should not be our attitude towards sin. Paul says in verse 3, he says, For the believer, the Christian, for us who are in the church, he asks this question, how can we who die to sin still live in it? All throughout this section, Paul is speaking as if these are truths that the church already knows. That these are truths that the church is already aware of. And in this section, Paul is teaching and reminding us of these salvific truths. And this is one church that I pray we hear today. I, I pray that we are reminded of these things anew today. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we have died to our sin. And we are called to walk in holiness through the power of the Spirit as to be led into holiness as our God is holy. Paul is actually going to, he's going to highlight this in our passage today. But Paul's going to teach us not only that we're dead to our sin, but that we've been united in Christ. There's so much to unpack in that truth. In the idea that we've been united with Christ, there is so much to say about that. And today we're really only going to scratch the surface. However, it's important to note that, that this union with Christ occurs when we come to faith in Christ. And are saved from our sins and death. 
It occurs at the moment of our conversion. And this union with Christ in the, in the moment of our salvation is not something that we're able to see. It's not something we're able to see that happens to us. But there's a spiritual change that happens in our being. This is, this is what Paul is about to unpack for us today. So as we begin, we want to we see the internal symbolism that baptism expresses. The internal symbolism that baptism expresses. What Paul does in the next few verses is, is use baptism as an illustration to remind us that we have died to our sins because we are united with Christ. Said differently, baptism is the visible symbol that portrays the internal spiritual union we have with Christ. It's the visible symbol that portrays the internal spiritual union that we have with Christ. And in this passage, Paul highlights two ways baptism illustrates this. Baptism symbolizes how we've been united with him. The first is this. The first is how baptism portrays that we were buried with Christ in death. Look at what Paul says in verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. When we are plunged into the water, it's a reflection of what has already occurred in our being. That we are dead and buried in Christ. It's our union with Christ that leads us to identify with him by agreeing and admitting that in the moment of his suffering and in his death, Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for, for our iniquity. He was acting as our substitutionary atonement, receiving the death that we deserved. I don't... But, but, but not only this, it's a picture that we too have died. The former man, the old self, has perished and has been buried. It's in the same way that Christ died and was buried for our sins, for the glory of the Father. Church family, I, I don't want us to gloss over this truth. I think it can be very easy to do that. To forget that this has occurred in us for those who are in Christ. In the moment of our salvation, it's not just that our sins are taken and placed on Christ. But it's the fact that our entire old nature, the old self, is put to death. This doesn't mean that we will never sin again. It doesn't mean that we will no longer wrestle with our sin. But what Paul is saying is that we died to the reign and rule of sin over our lives. This is what Paul says at the end of chapter 5 in verse 21. 
This is what he's going to say in verse 6. Will you just look at what he says in verse 6? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Did you hear that? So that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. This is what happens to us because we've been united with Christ in his death. This is a reminder that we have been buried with Christ in death. We have died to our sin and the old self has passed. But Paul doesn't say that this is the only way that we've been united with Christ. The second way that baptism illustrates our union with Christ is in his life. So not, not only have we been united in Christ in his death and in his burial, but we've been united with Christ in his life. Look at what Paul says in verse 4. And we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Not only were we buried in Christ's death, Paul says we were also united in Christ in his resurrection. And in baptism, this is what, what the coming forth out of the water portrays. The spiritual work that has already occurred in our lives. And at the moment of our conversion. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. The glory of the Father. This, this power that Paul is talking about is the same power that raised us up from the dead. And, and Paul is saying there's a purpose for this. There's a purpose for us being raised with Christ. And he says at the end of verse 4, it's so that we might walk in the newness of life. The picture here is that which went into the grave is completely dead. It is gone. What has come out of the grave is something Completely new. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now are made alive in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. The old has completely passed away. And it's the, the life of Christ now working in and through us. This is why Paul tells the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. Church family, I hope you are hearing the words today, beloved. And I hope that they, they're speaking to your own hearts, that they're reminding you of these glorious truths. 
Church family, there's a, there's a great joy and hope in these truths. Christ not only saved us from our sins in the present, but he gives us new life in him today. God is not just making better versions of our former selves. He's not just throwing some paint on it. He's not just replacing a few things here and there. No, 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 no. He is coming and he has come to make us completely new. This is what Paul says in verse 5. For if we, be, we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You know, the picture of baptism should actually remind us of a future hope that we have in Christ Jesus. A hope that one day we will be resurrected in the same glory as Christ Jesus. In Christ, we've been united with him in death, burial, and resurrection. We've been made new so we might walk in the newness of life. Church, I, I want to encourage you with this today. Maybe you're here today and you've been discouraged by your sin. Maybe, maybe you've been thinking, you know what, it just has such a grip on me. This particular sin, this particular characteristic, this particular attitude has such a, such a grip on me. Maybe you're thinking, man, it's, it's so hard to see a way out. Or maybe there are former shadows, there are shadows of your former self that are discouraging you. Maybe, maybe sinful attitudes or affections. And maybe you've been asking, Lord, why, why haven't you rid these of me yet? I hope the word of God provides encouragement for you today. You've been united with Christ in his death. You've been united in Christ in his resurrection. And that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of his return. Death and sin have no rule on the believer, on the Christian today. There is freedom in Christ today. And his spirit empowers us to walk in the newness of that life. I hope you, I hope you hear those truths today. Hope you're reminded of those truths today. Now this is what baptism portrays. This is what it demonstrates has occurred in the life of an individual. But I want you to see why this is done publicly. And what role baptism plays within the church. I want us to see how this is, this is worked out practically in the life of the church. And so for that, we're, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. Acts 
And as we look through Acts 2, just want to see a few things that are happening. We want to see that the external profession of baptism. In the beginning of Acts 2, what we see in the first, first couple of chapters is we see the start of the church. If you remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. And he tells his disciples that, that, they would, that they would receive the Holy Spirit, that they would be his witnesses throughout the earth. And in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit does come. Scriptures say a fire from heaven rests on the disciples. And they begin to speak the gospel in different languages so that all who are present are able to hear the gospel in their own tongues. And uh, towards, the, towards the middle there of chapter 2, there are some in the crowd that begin to joke. They begin to say that uh, Peter and his friends have started the, the festival celebrations a little too early with the wine. And it's, what, and it's this comment that leads Peter to stand up and to begin to preach so I want to turn your attention, uh, this, is, this happens in verse 14, but we're, we're not going to walk through all of chapter 2. We're just going to drop in and highlight a few verses so we understand what's happening. But, but Peter begins to tell them about Jesus. Begins to tell them about who Jesus is. And, and look at verse 22. Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in the midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Notice what Peter says in verse 36. If you would just jump down to verse 36. Peter says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Peter showing the people that Jesus is the Messiah. That he was indeed the Christ and, and after hearing this message, those, those who are present are, the scriptures say, are cut to the heart. And they ask Peter, what, what should they do? Look at what Peter says in verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter's response to their question is you must repent and be baptized. Luke tells us what happens next in verse 41. He says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Very quickly, I just want to summarize what's occurring to see in the second section of the main point that, that baptism is a believer's public commitment to Christ and the church, marking them off from the world. First, baptism is followed by faith and repentance. This is actually one of the, the distinguishing marks for us as Baptists. We are credo-Baptists. This means that we believe that a person must be regenerate before they are baptized. How is one regenerated? Well, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the power of the Spirit. Faith is more than just a belief. Faith in Christ produces the spiritual work that we just talked about in Romans chapter 6. It's a union with Christ. It produces a unity, a union with Christ. It's faith that moves us to be alive in Christ and dead to our sins. And it's our union with Christ by faith that allows us to walk in this new life that he's called us to. This means that baptism isn't what saves us. It can't. The power to save is not found in the water. But it's found in the power of Christ. This is very important. If you got baptized because you believe that was going to save you, we would, we would love to have a conversation with you. Secondly, baptism is a believer's public commitment to Christ. It's the symbol used by the believer to, to publicly declare what has transpired in Romans chapter 6. This union with Christ, that this union in Christ has indeed incurred, occurred in their lives. That they're joining, they're joining Paul in saying, I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Did you hear that today in the testimony? That was, that was very clear in the statement that was made today. It's the believer saying, I, I no longer live for myself. I no longer seek my will. I seek Christ's will. I no longer have other kings but King Jesus. Because, because Christ is all. But this also means, thirdly, that baptism is a believer's commitment to the church. It's a commitment it's a, it's a proclamation that the believer is making, that they're committing to the church. We see this in the story of Acts. After they are baptized, the 3,000 are added. Well, what are, they, what are they added to? Well, they're added to the church. But notice at the infancy of the early church, we see the church devoting themselves to certain things. We see them devoting themselves to the teaching of the word of God. We see them devoting themselves to prayer. We see them devoting, self, devoting themselves to the fellowship with one another. Luke even says in this passage that they attended the temple together and that they broke bread in their homes. 
This is, this is important for us, church, because baptism is, is entrance into the local church. It's when someone is baptized that there's an agreement that this is occurring between the believer and the church. The, the individual is publicly admitting that they are in Christ and that they belong to Christ. And it's the church that is acknowledging that they see this public confession of faith and that we are adding them to our number. It's as one author says, baptism is where one becomes many and the Lord's Supper, which we'll see next week, is where the many become one. What should occur among the church and the new member is everything that we've been talking about in this series. When, when someone is baptized and they join us, we should, we should look for ways to invite them to serve our church. And we should look for ways on how to serve them. We should begin to ask the question, how might we begin to pray for you? We should be concerned with whether they've been given an opportunity to be disciples thus far among our people. So that we might be able to bear one another's burdens. So we might be able to grow in maturity in Christ together. This commitment to the church is also why we believe in regenerate church membership as Baptists. Meaning that only true believers of Jesus Christ are part of his church. Because we understand baptism as the entrance to the church. And we hold to the view of regenerate baptism. But fourthly, because it's a commitment to Christ and to his church, it's a public commitment that marks us off from the world. The symbol of our death, burial, and resurrection acts as a public confession that we no longer belong to the world. That's what happens when we get baptized. Listen to what one Baptist missionary, Andrew Fuller, says. The importance of this ordinance arises from its being that, distinguish, that distinguishes the sign of Christianity. That by which they were to be known, acknowledged, and treated as members of Christ's visible kingdom. It is analogous to a soldier on his enlisting into his majesty's service, putting on the military dress. You see that illustration. You're, it's a public de de declaration to the world that, that we are no longer a part of that team. We are no longer soldiers of that army. No, we, we belong to a new kingdom with a new king, with a new mission, with a new purpose, with a new goal. As we, as we kind of just wrap up, how, how do we apply some of these ideas of baptism? Really quickly, for the believer that is saved but not yet baptized, I would encourage you, be baptized. Be baptized. 
Maybe, maybe you just got saved and you didn't realize this was the next step. Or, or maybe you've been delaying baptism for a specific reason. I want you to know this is, this is something that, that Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Again, because it's a public confession of what has already occurred in their lives. We want to encourage you today to follow the commandment of Christ. It's a way that we get to tell the church and the world that we are in Christ. I want you to know we're having a baptism class this Wednesday. It's Wednesday evening, and Pastor Blair is going to be speaking much, much further on these ideas. It's an, it's an opportunity to come and even ask further questions. If that's you, after the service, we, we want to come, come and talk to us. We want to be able to, to, uh, to sign you up for that. Come and, come and talk to us. Maybe, you, maybe you've already been baptized, and you're, you're hearing things today that you haven't heard before about your baptism Maybe you wanted to come to the class today to, to receive further information on exactly what you did. We would encourage you to do that. But for the members of First Irving, this, this would mean that you're saved and that you've been baptized already. How does this apply to you? Firstly, celebrate the work of Christ. Church, whether you personally know the individual or not, we should feel an elated joy to celebrate the work of Christ in the life of our brother and sister. We should be encouraged by what Christ is doing in and among our people. We should rejoice and be excited for for the baptisms that we get to, to see. But secondly, be reminded of the work of Christ. As we see baptisms, do you know we have, we have four baptisms that are pending. And as we begin to see these baptisms, and as we begin to witness these testimonies, you should be reminded of the work of Christ in your own life. Be reminded that you too made this same profession one day. Be reminded that you are united with Christ. Be reminded that the old has passed. Be reminded that the new has come. Be reminded that one day you will be as Christ is. Be reminded that you are not of this world, but that we are exiles awaiting the coming of our King. Thirdly, be committed to the work of Christ. This is just an encouragement to be a part of the work of Christ in the life of the new members who are joining our church. Especially those who are coming through baptism. Take, take interest in them. Seek them out. Ask who they are. Introduce yourself as another member of the church. Ask how you can begin to pray with them, pray for them. Ask the question about discipleship. Are you, are you connected to a small group already? This might look like a number of different ways of being involved in their lives. 
And I want to encourage you to be committed to the work. We are all seeking to attain full maturity in Christ. And this work involves us all. And so let's be committed to that. Lastly, if you're, if you're visiting us today, you've been hearing about what baptism is. You've been hearing that, that it's the idea that it portrays what Christ has already done for us. The idea that, that Christ came and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for sins so that those who would believe in him might be saved. If you're here today and you're, you're hearing that message for the first time, you're thinking, oh, I, I, I'm hearing these things for the first time. I, I don't fully know what they mean. I want, to, I want to know more about that. I want to know more about what it means for the old self to die and for, for, for us to, and for someone to be able to walk in the newness of life. I want, to, I want to hear more about that. I want to encourage you to come. Come and talk to us at the end of the service. Talk to myself, talk to Pastor Blair, Pastor Kurt, Corey, who led our service. Come and come and inquire of that. We would encourage you to do that. But church family, let's be reminded today that the old self has passed, that we are new in Christ, and that he has given us his spirit to walk in this newness today. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you for these glorious truths that you have given to us in your word. We confess, Father, that at times it's easy for us to forget these things. That through the busyness of our lives, sometimes through the carelessness of our own souls, we can be forgetful of these things. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would impress these truths in our hearts today. Lord, I pray for the person today thinking that they are gripped by their sin. Lord, would you remind them of the freedom that they have in Christ Jesus. That they are no longer slaves to their sins, but slaves unto righteousness because of the power of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we are not of this world and that our hope is not in the things of this world, but that it's in you and you alone. And Lord, again, we're thankful. We're thankful for the four to five people that are, that are in the process of being baptized. We thank you for the work that you're doing in, that, in their lives. And we're praying and asking, Father, that you would continue your work in and through and among our people. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.